Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. My name's David. I'm Tyler. And it's been a couple weeks, um, but most of what I saw was at the AFI Film Festival, uh, which you will hear us talk about in a few days. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't you get it started, then? All right. So, everybody, just get ready for lots and lots of omen talk. Um, <laughs> anybody who follows the website saw that I uh, recently watched and reviewed the entire Scream Factory omen collection. Um, so I had already seen the first omen, so I didn't watch that, but I did watch Damien, omen two. And we, by the way, just watched the first omen recently. Yes. You can find us talking about it at the uh, religious horror commentaries uh, that came out in October. If you're a Patreon member, you already have those, but if you're not, you can find them at battleship com. I, David, I've trained you well uh, <laughs> to be just a total shill. Uh, so yeah, Damien, omen two, um, there's so much about this series that has it's got potential and so here we have Damien is older now he's in military school he's living with his uncle played by William Holden see Um, it took Andy from Child's Play until the third movie to get to military school oh did he go I I didn't know yeah Uh, (laughs) well it turns out they're ripping off the omen I guess Uh, yeah and so what's but I'm saying Damien got there faster. He's on a, he's on the fast track. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> the Antichrist would move a little bit faster um, yeah. than a kid who's merely under the influence of an evil doll. Um, <laughs> so, but it's the, but he's like 13 now, so he's kind of he knows about the impulses that he has, and he seems to have certain types of powers, but he doesn't really understand what they are. But there are a lot of adults around him who absolutely know what he's doing, uh, including like the, the guy in charge of the military school, played by uh, Lance Henriksen. Yeah. Um, and, just, there's just, and everybody that doesn't know and is maybe trying to work against him like gets eliminated, and that's where the problem of the film comes in where it's just you know I, I having watched these movies I think I've come to realize that they're kind of the precursor to the Final Destination films uh, in that like characters die in ways that could be said oh it's a coincidence but it's almost Rube Goldbergian in that like oh this happens which causes that to happen and then the person okay. gets hit by a truck or something like that uh, and it just happens over and over again it's we see a little bit of Damien, Damien somebody's asking questions and then this happens we see more of Damien, but now William Holden is a little bit suspicious. And then another person comes in and says, hey, don't you realize what's going on? And then that person dies. Uh, and it's unfortunate because a lot of the, you know, a lot of good character actors show up and then off they <laughs> off they go. Uh, and it is unfortunate. But um, but the idea of in the same way that to me, from a Christian standpoint, I would like to see. I want to see movies and stories about Jesus when he was 13 and 14. Um where he's getting a sense of who he is. We, you get some of that like in Last Temptation when he's like 30. Uh, you know, when someone who is destined to be something and they're, as they become an adult and they're getting, you know, they're starting to understand what that might be, but then what does that even mean? What kind of responsibility do they have? Uh, that's something that I, it really strikes me as having potential. Uh, but this film, aside from having some good performances, uh, it just falls into a very standard uh, routine and never really gets out of it. Next up. Next up. 
the final conflict, otherwise known as Omen three. Uh, and this one, Damien is now in his thirties played by a young Sam Neill. And really? yeah. And his performance is the, is the reason to see it. If there is one, what year is this? We're talking about uh, like 81. Oh, okay. So yeah, he's still not very, not, this is kind of the thing that got introduced him to, to American audiences. But I'm on saying a Damien grew up faster on screen than he actually yes, would. Have. He did. Uh, yeah. it's, it's best not to think about these okay. things. Um, <laughs> and so he's like the head of a, of the corporation now. And he now fully understands what he is. Absolutely embraces it, has made his peace with it. Uh, his people within his company, not everyone, but people within his company know who he is. He has followers all around the world. Um, and so, but we're coming up on the, the, the second coming of Christ. And so that means the end of, uh, Damien's reign. Not that he's really reigning over anything. It actually seems like a pretty low ambition antichrist for the most part. Um, but, uh, but there are all the, there's this order of priests and you may recall from the first omen, there are these daggers. These, there are like seven daggers okay. and they, these are the stabbing him with. These are the only things, the only thing that can kill him. And so each priest attempts because he, on one hand, Damien realizes when Christ is going to be reborn. And so in true Pharaoh slash Herod fashion, every boy born within this, these hours on this day, he kills. And that's, pretty intense. Um, but then at the same time, these priests are trying to kill Damien. And so they kind of go one at a time, like one tries it in this situation, but then is dispatched. One tries it in this situation, which then becomes whether the film means for it to be or not comical. Uh, it's like <laughs> lady killers. It's kind of like Michael Palin and fish called Wanda trying to kill that old woman. Um, but, uh, and so it's just like, I don't, I don't know if you're trying to be farcical because the film seems to be taking these characters very seriously, but they just keep failing. Um, when it's a random person that gets in the way of Damien's goals, that's one thing. But when they all have one goal and they're united in that goal, uh, and then they keep failing, it just becomes silly and farcical, uh, which is a, which is a shame because Sam Neill is doing really great work. And I think they have moments where he is, essentially he's essentially praying to God, but only so that he can defy him. And it's these long monologues, uh, in which how, in which he's talking about how he's going to avenge his father and all that. And they're really great moments, uh, from an acting standpoint and from a writing standpoint, uh, but the movie in general, uh, it just, you can start to feel the lower budget, uh, and it's unintentionally, I think, funny and uh, ultimately just something to, to skip. Well, I know it's my turn now, but don't get too comfortable because I'm realizing that I accidentally put clemency on this list because oh, I didn't okay. see it at AFI. But then I talked about it on the AFI wrap up, which we've already recorded, but it hasn't come out yet. OK, so I liked clemency. You'll hear me talk about it more on the AFI episode. So back to you. All right. I watched Mariel Heller's A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Uh, you can read my review uh, at BattleshipPretension.com. This is a film that, as you know, I was a little bit skeptical going into, especially the idea of Mr. Rogers being relegated to a supporting role, mm. which meant that we were going to watch a less interesting person for a long time. Uh, but you know what? Uh, I should have had faith in Mariel Heller. She does a great job from a structural standpoint, from a character standpoint, because my concern was that they're going to make, they're going to elevate 
<clears throat> Mr. Rogers into this Obi-Wan Kenobi type okay. sage and what they, the brilliance of what they do from a writing and performance standpoint is that he is elusive because he's choosing to be. Hmm. There are moments where our main character who's interviewing him is asking these questions and you just, and Mr. Rogers instead like starts asking the reporter questions. And on one hand, he genuinely does seem interested in what's going on with the, with the reporter, but it does not go unnoticed by him or by us that he's also not answered the question about himself. And it's frustrating. And you start to realize like, all right, Mr. Rogers is a lot cannier than we thought. (laughs) Uh, And so that really works for me um, because it makes the character unknowable by choice as opposed to a director or an, or a a journalist who's not actually that interested in getting to know him. It's that you can't know him. He, he won't allow it. And so I think that's really interesting. And then there are some structural uh, conceits that I really like that kind of subvert certain biopic things. And I say this in my review, when characters look at the camera, it is a bold choice one that, in my opinion, rarely works. Yeah. It happens in here, and boy, does it work. Huh. Like, totally for me. I didn't, uh, uh, I wouldn't have expected that. You wouldn't. But that's the thing, is it's a film that is less interested in being a realistic portrait of this and more just infused with his spirit. Uh, oh, that's nice. It's, it really, boy, did it surprise me. I really, really liked it. All right, uh... My first real uh, movie I'm <laughs> discussing is uh, a new documentary by a director named Brett Story. It's called The Hottest August. Okay. Um, and uh, it refers to August of 2017, which is actually the second hottest uh, August. Uh, Do you think it's supposed to kind of rhyme? Hottest August? Maybe. Okay. Yeah. But the premise is that uh, Brett Story, uh, which is, uh, she's like... Um, the star of Grace Under Fire. It's a woman named Brett. Oh, got it. Yeah, yeah. What was her name? Brett. Brett Butler. Butler. Yes. Um, she, in August of 2017, every day she went out to New York, mostly the outer boroughs of, of New York, and asked people some variation of the question, "How do you feel about the future?" Hmm. Um, and the. Uh, um, She's not asking about climate change, but as you can tell, the movie's called The Hottest August. At this in this day and age, so much of your discussion when you say the word future is just infused with climate change fears. This is a climate change documentary, but without with mostly out with mostly without ever really talking about it. There is some a couple of bits of narration or voiceover on her part that I think are unnecessary and which because it gets a little too on the nose. Sure. But when she's just talking to people, because uh, some pe- a lot of people do talk about climate change when they're asked, but mm-hmm. other people talk about like they're really excited about their career or like mm-hmm. the school they're getting into, or some people uh, say some some they say some things about how their neighborhood has changed, which is like uh, very coded racial sure. stuff. Um, uh, yeah, not everyone she talks to is a great person, but she's not condemning of anyone she just very much it's a very much hands-on except for this narration which i uh, it really frustrated me every time it would pop up because i was mm-hmm. like this isn't necessary but for the most part she's a very laissez-faire like i'm just gonna ask this question and string together um and uh so it's a very s- simple movie and yet very powerful and very much interested in people 
um but also seems to be i think the um the underlying point of the movie is that things are getting worse faster than we're reacting to them Mm. and that um it's almost like bitterly funny that people aren't panicking in the streets Mm -hmm. Uh, um and and there's uh some really beautiful in in between the interviews she'll just have sort of like montages of like coney island or something like that and there's some just really beautiful photography it's a uh a really really good movie um that's engaging to watch and also uh if you're like me uh terrifying you know it's interesting uh if somebody when you mentioned that that's what she asks people i immediately thought like if somebody came up with a camera and asked me like how do you feel about the future my i would say my future or the future like uh-huh. i would not immediately i'm like my first thought was like this is probably a trap yeah uh and then i'd be like i need clarification of that question uh, I'm not going to assume you mean my future right. and then just proceed uh, and be really solipsistic you, about you it. You probably would have gotten cut out of the movie then. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and just like, yeah. How do you feel about the future? You mean my future or the future? Ugh, cut. And yeah. just <laughs> moves on <laughs> to some guy like, you And know. you're like, do you need me to sign a waiver? No. No. We're not <laughs> using this. <laughs> um... <laughs> All right. Uh, so next up, so Jen and I did uh, sign up like so many other people for Disney Plus. I'm sorry, she, she's going through all the the uh, but Mar- all Marvel your, movies. All your uh, they got hacked. Whatever. All your stuff is out there now. I've got, I'm signed up for so many things. I just assume it is anyway. Uh, yeah. Also, my information it's not that important to me. I'm just wondering if you're worried about the security of your shit. Uh, that's from something right <laughs> i think i might have the word it might not be security but uh it's from burn after reading it's that's right <laughs> <laughs> i forgot all about that yeah <laughs> of your shit like, yeah he just says it so oh uh so <clears throat> i went through looking to see what was available and it's uh the of course the nostalgia kicked in and i'm like hey they've got dark wing duck that's fun uh but then i noticed they've got like some Stuff, like live action movies from the seventies, some of which I grew up watching and forgot about since then. Okay. So there's one called snowball express, which I, my parents, they would rent stuff from the video store. And then, uh, what do you call it? Like not burn it. You can't eat. That wasn't a thing yet. Copy it, copy it essentially onto wow. like a blank tape. And then we could just rewatch it anytime. They had no, they felt no, uh, compun- uh, you know, worry about that. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> so but, I'm having uh, an allergy attack right now, by the way. Are you all right? I am. I just, uh, I keep, I, I have to keep, uh, rubbing my face or else I'm going to sneeze. Oh, okay. It's you know, weird. sneezing, much as I hate your sneezes, as you know, uh, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> okay. Um, it just it's sounds like podcasting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, my, I, my brother and I essentially owned snowball express, um, in our way, uh-huh. uh, and watched it all the time. And it has Dean Jones and it's about this guy who, uh, quits his, he finds out that he's inherited a hotel in this crappy little mountain, uh, Colorado mountain town. Uh, but apparently the, the hotel brings in a lot of money. So he quits his job, the, his New York office job and takes his family out to Silver Hill, Colorado, only to find out that the money that the hotel 
made uh, used to make uh, the hotel that it was quoted as like it makes this p- much per month and. That may have been true at some point. It's not true anymore. Okay. Hotels dilapidated. So then he tries to make it into a ski lodge and, you know, misadventures. Uh, and for for the type of thing that it is, which is family friendly, I watched a lot as a kid. And I watch it now. And more than anything, I just get, I'm just frustrated that he just makes so many bad choices. Um, but there's still some humor that comes out of it, and Harry Morgan is in it from MASH. Oh, yeah, I know who Harry Morgan is. And he's, he basically plays a guy who was, like, friends with the previous owner, like the, the distant uncle that left the guy uh, this place, and he's, he essentially just comes off like an old prospector. Uh, and when they write his character and the delivery of it, it's just wonderful. And there's... There's one bit that I remembered from when I was a kid, but I had no context of what it meant because I was a kid. I watch it now, and it's what Jimmy Car- uh, Jimmy uh, Jimmy Carter Jimmy Pardo would call a, a nice piece of business, um, <laughs> where there's a snowmobile race, of course, uh, and there comes a moment where Dean Jones, and then he's got Harry Morgan like uh, behind him, and they're they're uh, he's like on the second seat there. And so they go off the track and then they actually like go, uh, what looks like they go through a mountain and it's very abrupt. Uh, (laughs) and so then it's just blackness and there's silence. And then you hear, uh, Johnny and he goes, why? He goes, are we dead? (laughs) And then Dean Jones goes, I didn't want to be the first one to mention it. (laughs) And then Harry Morgan has this, Oh, beautiful i took the time to memorize it because i liked it so much he goes he's like i don't mean to add to our uh, troubles but it's getting hotter he's like he goes must have been that go round i had with the widow corzine but heck that was 20 years ago and she started it (laughs) and so the idea of it getting hotter it's like oh premises we're dead we're now going to hell he goes it must have been this thing and just like the phrasing of it, that go that go around with the widow, and you know Harry Morgan, so he oh, says yeah. in that deadpan yeah. way, and uh, it just made me it made me chuckle. And there are a couple of those that actually I appreciate more now. So I'd be curious sure. to know if anybody were to watch this, like with their family, with their kids, if the kids would enjoy it. If I had children, I'd probably show it to them. All right. Next up for me is a movie uh, directed by Peter Strickland. It's called In Fabric, mm-hmm. um, and the the glib way to describe it would be to say in much the way that Christine is about a killer car killer car in fabric is about a killer dress. Oh, neat. Um, uh, Marianne Jean Marianne Jean Baptiste uh, oh, nice. stars um, as a, a, a woman who um, is re- is recently divorced. She's she's dating. The movie takes place in some sort of alternate version of the early 1980s i think or maybe mid 1980s um because she's doing like video dating or whatever um and she buys a she goes to a uh uh, a department store that seems to be run by i don't know classy french robot ladies um and the movie is very strange yeah um and uh but I say robot lady. They're not actually robots, but they maybe are members of a cult uh, in which they worship slash have some sort of sexual congress with the mannequins after the store is closed. And so she buys this dress that starts giving her a rash and then starts taking over her life. Um, and then 
uh, it goes on from there. There's a, there's a lot more, more to it, but, um, uh, so it's a, it's a very, very bizarre movie. That's often very funny and also often very dark and very, um, perverse, uh, um, very, uh, uh, um, do you know, uh, I can't remember. You never watched, uh, well, there's a mighty boosh and then there's, uh, the other show, but do you know, Julian Barrett, he played Howard moon on the mighty boosh. Mm-hmm. He plays one of Marina <laughs> Jean-Baptiste's two bosses at the bank where she works and they are her bosses and also possibly a couple. And they get very involved in their employees lives, uh, not just asking about their doing performance reviews, but also asking about their dreams and their, uh, eating and bathroom habits. Um, and then also, um, this is very specific. We find out that they both Julian Barrett and his business partner slash possible life partner, um, have a fetish for having <laughs> washing machine parts described to them. <laughs> um, well, if they're not life partners, obviously they should be. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you can see what the movie is about, like the way that people that, a uh, Mary John Baptiste is a sort of worker bee at this bank, but her, uh, her, her bosses <coughs> have their fingers in every aspect of her life. Right. The way that the department store is like a religious cult. The dress takes over her life. The washing machine sort of uh obsession makes up a whole i don't want to go into like there's a whole second story about uh washing machine repairman that i don't want to really uh go into like it's a movie about sort of consumerism and uh consumerism as uh a guiding force or a malevolent cult maybe Mm -hmm. or or whatever um but uh it's not as uh didactic didactic as i'm making it sound the movie's a lot of fun but also occasionally very uh upsetting um and and dark um uh, but but yeah uh funny and strange and uh, i really liked it i haven't seen any other uh peter strickland movies he did uh barbarian sound studio and did oh, the, du- the duke of burgundy you saw barbarian sound, sound yeah. studio did you like that uh, I did. It's a definite. It's definitely a a unique film uh, because it's not immediately clear what it's about, and it doesn't become much clearer as you as you go on. It's just a really uh, very strange film. Well, that, uh, yeah, I, I want to see more of his stuff. Having seen In Fabric now, especially want to see The Duke of Burgundy. Um, uh, but yeah, I would definitely recommend In Fabric. It's the movie's over a year old, but has not officially been. Is only officially being released. It actually played AFI Fest last year, uh, and I missed it there. But I saw a press screening, and it's getting released in December. Um, uh, so uh, check it out. What do you What do you have next? Is it another Omen movie? Yes. All right. Uh, but I decided to go a little bit out of order, so I watched the 2006 Omen remake directed by John Moore, uh, and starring. Liev Schreiber. Yes. I'm just saying, I recently learned that his name is not pronounced Liev Schreiber. It's Liev. The, the, the emphasis is on the second syllable. I think that's how I've always said it. That's what, that's what my wife said. I've always said Liev. Hmm. Uh, yes. And he said that that's how most people who aren't 
he, this was on the, he was on the Stephen Colbert show, okay. uh, promoting Ray Donovan season, whatever, three or four, whatever they're on at this point. Probably more, probably more. Yeah. Time, Never watched time, a single episode. Time moves really fast. Young people, if they're young people don't listen to podcasts, but if you are somehow time moves fast when you get older and it's weird. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, so, uh, but yeah, he was on Stephen Colbert and he was saying that, uh, most people who are, don't know, like, uh, uh Hebrew words, seem to say put the emphasis on the first one liev that's uh, really interesting but, uh, but it's Lee i think i've always said liev but it's liev huh liev schreiber yeah that's the only way i've ever said it huh. um maybe it's because i'm uh, such a fan of liev garrett <laughs> anyway uh that's a dumb joke <laughs> no, that's a good joke i don't think um, that was a dumb joke you so shouldn't yeah. uh, uh undercut it, it was okay a good joke. all right thank you um so yeah, uh, who, who cares? Who cares about this remake? Except uh, the whole point is that it it came out on six six six. That's the whole reason for its existence. June six two thousand six. Yeah. yeah, it's beat for beat. It's the same movie. Um, it, it's not shot for shot or anything like that. And the music by the usually reliable Marco Beltrami is nowhere near Jerry Goldsmith. Um, and, and, and the cast is great. You've got Liev Schreiber. Uh, you've got <laughs> Julia. No, let me St- tell you what I just learned. Actually. What, what's up? No. Uh, yeah, you've got Julia, Julia Stiles, Stiles. You've got who's uh, returned uh, to the screen this year with Hustlers. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, I got it. Um, so, so something just happened off. Yeah, uh, off camera, as it were. Yeah, Julia Stiles just walked by the yeah. window. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, David Thewlis, Pete yeah. Postlethwaite, Mia Farrow, right? Uh, uh, I, Michael I, Gambon, uh, like a great cast, and the film is not poorly shot. Um, and some of the, you know, some of the, act, uh, the, the act cast all does a great job. Mia Farrow, especially as one would assume, uh, she's playing kind of the crazy, uh, uh, evil nanny. Um, but in some cases they elevate the tone and in other cases, in most cases, I'd say they, they kind of ground it a little bit more. It's not nearly as, as operatic or histrionic as the original. And I think okay. that actually is to its detriment. Um, because the story itself is not that amazing and they overplay Damien. They play him as so obviously evil, hmm. um, that, uh, that I think that's a bad call. That's and interesting. It, and I mean, that's very much not what Richard Donner. No, it did. isn't. Yeah. Um, like they, they play him as strange, mm-hmm. but the way a kid can be strange. Whereas this, like the way he's looking at things and all that, it's like, I don't trust, I don't trust this kid at all. Uh, I'd be surprised if he wasn't the antichrist. Uh, (laughs) and then the film even, and they even have the final iconic shot of him looking back and smiling, just the whole thing. And it's just, it was a release date. It's a release date that, got a good, uh, good budget. And it's not a bad movie, but it's not a great, it's just a, Somebody pointed out somewhat recently that I tend to use who gives a shit as an adjective. Uh Uh, This movie is who gives a shit. (laughs) That's the best way I can describe it. Even though people are doing good work. That's the other thing. All right. Next up, uh, man, we got a couple of, 
rough things in a row here for me. But next up is a movie that I went into uh, uh, excited about because of the, the cast and I'd heard good things. Uh, I saw Julius Ona's Loose. Oh, okay, yeah. Starring Kelvin Harrison Jr. and uh, Octavia, Sp- Octavia Spencer and Naomi Watts and Tim Roth uh, reunited yeah. after playing a married playing a married couple yeah. again after playing a married couple yeah. in the the public in demanded the funny, it funny games remake. <laughs> um, and do you know the premise of the movie? I don't. Uh, so Naomi Watts and Tim Roth play a couple who adopted a boy from Eritrea who was from a young age trained as a child soldier. And so they adopted him, brought him to America. He's been through years of therapy and now he's like a high school senior and he's like valedictorian and he's doing great. But he writes a paper for a a class. Octavia Spencer is the teacher that troubles Octavia Spencer. And she starts getting involved in his life. Like, uh, and, um, and creating suspicion uh, around what his uh, motives are. And basically, on the one hand, the movie is a chance for us to have a conversation about what we expect people to to be and how we treat them when they don't live up to that. Mm. On the other hand, that's the only reason the movie exists. It does not exist. The first thing I said to my wife when we were leaving the 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 movie theaters i was like uh i wonder what planet that movie took place on (laughs) because the it's it's own the movie own is only a dialectic it is only just characters having conversations at each other yeah everything about it that is supposed to be dramatic is ridiculous um and uh the and trying to anytime you set aside like okay well this is happening because it adds this to the conversation if you try to set that aside you're like this is it's either so stupid like no one Naomi Watts character would never do that or he is so obviously a villain (laughs) you know which that's not even a spoiler because we don't uh, we don't really know what uh, what happens, but like if you tried to apply any actual cohesive logic to the movie outside of the point the screenplay is trying to argue in this particular scene, it completely falls apart. It doesn't make any sense. It apparently is based on a play. I could see it working because I remember having like a, a drama teacher once said this to me. And it's so obviously true that I don't understand that it's surprising that it was surprising to me at the time, Mm -hmm. which is that state like theater plays on a stage, despite the fact that you're actually seeing real people in front of you are less people expect less realism from them than they do from a movie. Yeah, it's it's Uh, it seems like that shouldn't be the case. But yeah, yeah. because you're, you're you're at a remove, you're seeing the whole set the set has to almost give you more of an impression of something than be the actual thing. And you're outside of it. Whereas a, in a film, you're kind yeah. of the, it's the illusion of that you're standing in the room with these people yeah. as opposed to, yeah. So I could see it maybe working a little better on the stage. I still don't think I'd like it very much, but it probably wouldn't be so laughable and preposterous to me. Um, uh, as this was, but, uh, yeah, no, no, thank you with loose. All right. Uh, next up for me is, Deep Murder. All right. Yeah. Uh, A movie that I 
was super excited. So I also, um, I'll just say I have access to uh, the streaming service Shutter. Um, okay. <laughs> I didn't want to. I didn't want to make it seem like I was bragging about all these streaming services I have. I subscribe to some. All right. I have more because uh, uh, you know what? Maybe I did inherit some inherit something from my parents. There. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah. So I was excited when Deep Murder showed up uh, on there because I wasn't sure where else I could find it. And I think I had forgotten that it had been uh, released, uh, you know, to home video. And the minute you had started talking about it, I was eager to, yeah, it's to very much it. up your alley. Um, directed by Nick Corcosi. Yeah. I don't remember exactly how you pronounce his name, yeah. but he's the, one of the geniuses behind, uh, complicated cup and complicated. Yeah. yeah. I, I love it. Um, and yeah, uh, it's it's essentially you've talked about it on the show before, so we don't have to go into a lot of detail. But it's essentially a softcore porn where there is a murder, so it kind of becomes a whodunit. But it's it goes beyond that. It's there the humor can be mined out of that, but it's also characters who suddenly have to think differently, but they can't because these are the, these are how they're written. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's stuff like. You know, somebody show, uh, shows up dead and everyone, they're just sitting around trying to figure out what to do. And one person is literally it's like, fuck, should, should we fuck? <laughs> and I thought that was hilarious, like, because that's yeah. their solution. And then, <clears throat> and then like, when, when there, there's a moment where uh, uh, a sexy mom and her, like, virgin teenage son, like, all these characters, because they've broken out, they've been forced to break out of these roles and adapt they start to question their choices and she realizes like, I've not been a good mother to you. Uh, and oh, then, like, yeah. she gives him like this big hug and she says, and, and don't <laughs> worry about the erection. And yeah, it's yeah. because of course a woman is hugging him. So of course this is what happens. Um, uh, my favorite moment like that, which is both very funny and very like touching is the babysitter realizing, I don't think there are any there kids, any in, kids this in this house. house. Yeah. It's a great, I can't remember the actress's name, but she's uh, fantastic in that moment. Yeah. It's, I, I think the whole cast is, is really marvelous. Um, and it's just, uh, Christopher McDonald, especially where he's, he's the husband who is going to get cuckled at essentially like, <laughs> right. because he's, he's always on his cell phone, just saying the most generic business things, yeah. uh, which I love. Um, and so I like that, but I also really like that. It's, it's a film that's not, it's about, it's about what you find, what you think your identity is, where you find that identity and then how much you let that define you because it's so easy to say, well, I'm this like, or it could be, I'm a certain type of person or it could be, I'm this religious affiliation or political affiliation. Like just these various labels, the babysitter, the virgin, the detective, all these things. But then it goes beyond that because, uh, you also have a character who it is revealed, um, is no longer interested in this soft core thing. And he's much more interested in hardcore stuff. And as a result, he reduces people down Mm -hmm. to sexuality and not merely like sexual preference, but the fetishes and that kind of thing. Uh, And so the 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 our our protagonist, like the realization that he comes to at the end is that, like, no, I'm not going to let any of this dictate what I do. Like I it's by the way, it's the virgin, everybody. Uh, Unsurprisingly, he's the the main character. Um, Kind of. Yeah, I guess he's he's a co-main character. He has 
because Doctor Bunny yeah. is also. I mean, all the characters have an arc, really. When yeah, you think they do. about it. But Doctor Bunny is my favorite character. She is partially because she's uh, Stephanie Drake is the actress, mm-hmm. uh, and people who remember Mad Men very, very well might remember her as the in the later season the receptionist that Christina Hendricks threw a model airplane at in one of one of my favorite Mad Men scenes. I do not recall that. Uh, um, yeah. So uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, she's she's fantastic. Sorry, I, I cut you off yet. Well, uh, it's just this idea that like he has an opportunity to very organically not be the virgin anymore. And he puts that aside because it's being virgin, being a virgin or not being a babysitter or not being the doctor. Not like that's not who that's not what defines him anymore. Uh, it's not what defines any of these characters anymore. And so it's, it's a film that's very funny. Uh, you know, the, the Vaseline on the lens for like, uh, most of the cinematography, yeah. the constant talking about the terrible weather outside, despite it being sunny. <laughs> right. Uh, it's just, it's such a beautifully realized <laughs> film, but also a lot deeper than you would think. I, the thing that I, uh, uh, got out of it is the idea that like, um, these people belong very strictly to a very specific fictional trope. Mm-hmm. And then another fictional specific fictional trope works its way in, which is, so it goes from the softcore porn, but suddenly also it has the locked door murder mystery. Yeah. And there's also a part where, um, the babysitter and Dr. Bunny get into the library Yeah, and they, and they learn more things. And I feel like the movie is kind of an argument that, fiction can help us make sense of the world Mm -hmm. and being exposed to more fiction, you know, and more stories, almost like an AI, it learns the more, the more it's exposed to that a a person can, that can make sense of the world through fiction. Uh, that was, uh, my takeaway. I don't know if that's what Nick Cororossi was going for, but, Oh, I think uh, so. Like it's, it, any kind, anything that stretches, you beyond what you're used to. And in this case, there are characters in one genre, another genre comes in and lo and behold, they start to stretch and they start to realize their failings. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I highly recommend it. I really enjoyed it. Uh, all right. Next up, uh, for me is a documentary called, Sca- <coughs> excuse what was that? me, it's called scandalous okay. or the full story is scandalous. So the full story, full title is scandalous. The true story of the National Enquirer. It is a document about the is history. Is it the true story or the untold story? It's the true story. Because on IMDb, I thought it was the untold story. Um. Well, let me see the. Yeah. On IMDb, is it? It says scandalous. The untold story. Oh, no, it of the does National say the Enquirer. untold story. Oh, okay. fuck! I wrote true in the. I review. changed it. Um. You did. Yeah. You changed the title. It, within the review, I still said true. Oh, shoot. Yeah, I just I just changed the headlines. Right, um, uh, no, you're right. It is the untold story. In any case, uh, it, it, I didn't care because I don't like the movie. Yeah. It, uh, it, it again is just a movie that like <coughs> the director, Mark Landsman, clearly wants us to. He doesn't just want to tell us the history of the National Enquirer. He entered into making this documentary with a very specific idea of what he wanted to say about America of through course. the story of the National Enquirer. Um, and everything is just so predetermined. Uh, and of course, it's full of all the like modern day documentary whiz bangery uh, animation and other bullshit. Um, and I just, the movie, like, uh, it, it really wants us to feel to feel a certain way about the national Enquirer up until a certain point and then say like, but when this guy bought it in the late nineties and then like make this guy the villain yeah. and everything is just so predetermined. Uh, I was, uh, yeah, bored out of my mind. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. Next for me, 
All right, I took a break, but now it's time to get to Omen 4, The Awakening, which is the last of, of these. And which um, is made for made television. For yes. Network uh, television. Yeah. So it's not, uh, the, it's probably not as violent as the other ones, I'm guessing? Uh, no, it isn't. Okay. Um, they still try to incorporate some stuff. Um, but uh, So it was 91, uh, apparently Fox which I think was recently at that point, recently purchased by uh, Rupert Murdoch um, or at least run by, I forget if he just owned it or just ran it. I don't remember the situation, but, uh, but he's like, well, you know, and as a network, it was, it was fairly new. And so they're like, well, TV movies are a big deal. Fox has this big stable of movies. What can we possibly adapt? And so this is 91. So it's, 10 years after the after the final conflict um and so they discovered like oh, how old is he now a hundred oh he's dead sorry he died at the end of final conflict oh really so this is a new a new one the, the heir of damien essentially um not physically related though right uh and the 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 beats aren't exactly the same in the way the omen remake was but they're very similar to the when you first say the beats omen. you mean jack kerouac alan ginsburg yeah they're all here yeah so, uh, very committed Satanists. I don't know if you know that or not. Um, I always assumed it, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's about right. Um, so it's all, you know, the difference here is that, uh, it's a little girl instead of a little boy. And the person who's incredulous is the mother, not the father. So they just kind of flip that around. Uh, and the actor, the, the actors are all doing a fine job. Music is terrible. It's it takes a lot for me to notice bad music and it's just really awful. I felt like I was watching Snowball Express. I felt like I was like literally this this I didn't I wanted to incorporate this into my review, but it was just it took too long. I was I was watching because Jen had been watching like Pollyanna, like stuff that she grew up like these live action Disney movies. So she got home from uh, shooting a wedding, I think, and I was watching this movie. Uh-huh. And, and music was playing and Jen was like, "Uh Oh, is somebody watching uh, an early Disney movie? And I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm watching the fourth omen, but the music sounded like, wow. That. Uh, and the, it shows its budget. It's, it's fairly low budget where it does do well. And where I think like, Oh, this series could have used this more. There's a detective character. So like the mom hires a detective who goes looking around to try to figure these things out. Uh, and he's played by Michael Lerner. Um, and he does a, it's a, he's well-written the stuff he comes to is really well realized. And it's like, yeah, that's, I feel like granted the, the whole series is about people who are trying to be rational encountering Mm -hmm. what is not. Uh, but there's something about a detective who everything about their life is about proof, finding proof of things. And they ask, you know, they know what questions to ask. They know what leads to follow. You know, it's bringing that in. It's not like he's a hard boiled detective, uh, but he definitely bring breathes life into this movie. And I think into the franchise, he's a character that it's a supporting role, uh, but when he's in there, he just dominates partially because of who Michael Lerner is, but also just the type of character he is. It makes me think of something like, uh, 
you know, something like in the mouth of madness or Lord of illusions, or even something like psycho, which brings in the Martin balsam character, like that type mm-hmm. of character plays can play such an important role in a movie like this. And, uh, the movie's kind of forgettable and pretty bad outside of that. But I remember really responding to that partially because I like Michael Lerner as an actor, but also because they, it just seems to elevate everything around it. <laughs> All right, uh, so I caught up with a movie from 2012 that I've been meaning to see since 2012, um, and I watched it for a project that I'm working on that is not Battleship Retention related. Um, I watched Adam Leon's Give Me the Loot. Okay. Which is... I don't which one that is. It's so wonderful. It's, uh, it's I think, his, his debut. Uh, he's only made two, two films. This is his first, first film, and it's basically a movie about two kids two new york new york kids who um um they're uh taggers i guess they've graffiti their tags on things i, I want to say I, I hesitate to say graffiti artists because it's more about them just tagging things sure. than it is about their art or whatever um but they have this this plan to uh to sneak into uh City Field, but they uh, insist on still calling it Shea Stadium. Uh, to where there's a, I guess when the Mets hit a home run, there's like a big apple that comes out of the ground or something. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know if this is real or not. I don't watch a lot of uh, <laughs> um, uh, Mets games, I guess. Uh, and their plan is to sneak in and write their names, tag their names on the apple, so the next time it comes out, uh, the whole city hmm. sees their their names. And they find a guy who's willing to. Uh, who works there is willing to like sneak them into to city field. Uh, but he needs 500 bucks. So the movie is about them trying to get $500. Uh, but the thing is, the thing that's so refreshing about it is that it's not really like that. It's not really about that at all. Like it has this sort of ticking clock idea <laughs> that gives it a pace, mm-hmm. but it's really just about these two. Yeah. I, I, I hesitate to say kids. Cause I think they're supposed to be like, 20 or so um being set off into situations that are new to them people they wouldn't normally be around um but it's all and, and again i'm not, again i'm making it sound heavy the idea of this movie is that it is it's not even 80 minutes long it's so light on its feet it's so energetic um and and buoyant um and it also it <clears throat> I don't know why uh, it, this is such a recent movie, but it's become a go-to reference for me. Uh, good time is a movie oh, sure. that is like a fun movie about someone who's not necessarily a good person. You know, I have a and, hard time f- seeing it as fun. Uh, I, mean, I, I think good time is, is fun, but um, now these guys aren't, th- these two kids aren't like pieces of shit, like mm-hmm. uh, Pattinson's character, but like the movie makes no, uh, does no moralizing about the fact that part of their uh, plan for getting the money is just like stealing from people. Yeah. <laughs> like these people, like they, these two young people commit crimes like all the time. And we're like watching them and kind of hoping they succeed because there are protagonists, but also like, yeah, they're just stealing from people. It's, uh, but the movie doesn't do any moralizing at all about that. And I find that really sort of fun and, and refreshing. Um, uh, but maybe, I mean, basically it's a movie that in its own way is about like, uh, friendship, uh, between 
uh, a boy and a, like just regular friendship between a boy, a boy and a girl, like without like, uh, romantic undertones. It's about, uh, class and it's about race. Oh yeah. They're both black. And, um, at um, one of the many crimes they attempt to commit is to, uh, steal some jewelry from a rich white girl. Hmm. Um, and so that like, it's about all of these things, but, uh, it's never, um, laden with importance about yeah. it. And I think is more, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, edifying, I think sure. because it's just like the camera. It, a lot of times it just seems that the camera's trying to keep up with these, these mm-hmm. people. It's a lot of fun. Really great. Give me the loot 2012. All right. All right. Um, this is the only rewatch, uh, but I haven't seen it in a while. It's a film I think you've seen as well. And a film that is become almost completely unavailable online, hmm. which is uh, the documentary The Rock of Fire Explosion. I never saw it. You never saw it? No, I okay. think I told you about it because I'd you heard did, about yeah. it. And but, then, uh, yeah. yeah. And I think for a while it was available on Netflix, and that's how I saw it. And uh, not only is it not available on Netflix or really any streaming service, but also... Uh, you can't really even buy the DVD anymore. So like if you were to f- look for it on Amazon, it's like $250. Um, so how'd so, you see it? Uh, somebody, totally illegally? No, no, no. Well, I mean, it might be illegal at some point, uh, at some level, but I think somebody had put it on YouTube. Okay. Um, it'll probably, I, literally I clicked on it thinking I was watching the trailer cause I didn't look at how long it was. <clears throat> and so I clicked on it and then I was just like, this is a really interesting conceptual trailer and that it's going real slow. Oh, I'm watching the movie now. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so, uh, and who knows, maybe the movie will be taken off or maybe not. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's a film that I just, it's all about the band. They call it a band. It is animatronic figures that look like animals that used to play, plays in quotes as well at uh showbiz pizza yeah. in the 80s yeah which is what i grew up with st louis didn't get chuck e cheese until i was probably like a teenager yeah so i grew up going to showbiz pizza i i went to showbiz once or twice enough that i remembered like the gorilla mm-hmm. um and all of that and then suddenly they were all gone and turns out and everyone assumed that chuck e cheese bought showbiz pizza what's interesting is that showbiz pizza bought chuck e cheese but then they took chuck e cheese's name okay because i think they thought it was more profitable whatever it is more catchy uh but so you learn sort of about how the company works but there's also just this idea of the different types of artistry because there's one guy named aaron fector who was this he's kind of brilliant and kind of a genius and he's the one that came up with all the different programming of rock of fire explosion and his company which is just, the name of the band yeah with the, that's the name of the band uh his company just exploded and they had like suddenly 300 employees like <clears throat> michael jackson came to visit their factory uh because he was in, interested in all things children uh, mm, um, yeah. and uh and so it was this huge thing and then suddenly this merger happened and the company wasn't that interested in the characters because he still owned the characters and they said like well we're not that interested in the characters so they just replaced it with like these other characters and suddenly he's just out of business and so there is also this sadness you you 
talk to people who grew up with Rocket Fire Explosion and then set it up in their own garages right. and stuff and it's fascinating meanwhile you also cut to him in the warehouse that and factory that he still owns there is now one employee him mm-hmm. but what it does what does it even mean to be an employee so there's a real sadness there um and this idea of like what happens when art is just so tied to business and that like, yeah, business is not going to be the one that loses in that situation. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a really, and it's one of those very niche, like what, do, what did we call it when we did an episode? Human, uh, human interest, a human interest documentary. And so head on over to YouTube and watch it while well, you uh, still can. It's the only place you can watch it. Uh, we don't seem to be, uh, stealing from anyone because the, I don't think even the Rockfire Explosion documentary website is still around, hmm. um, which is a bummer because I think that uh, the guys, I think it's a well made documentary. All right. I, I watched a, a movie from this year. It came out this year, um, but uh, no one has uh, heard of it. <laughs> um, but uh, I happen to be. This was a, a while back. I was at the Arclight for another screening. I can't remember of what. Actually, it might have been Abominable. Um, uh, but uh, they were having a premiere for a movie that I'd never heard of, but had a really amazing cast uh, called Semper Fi. Oh yeah. I, I, yeah. I got a screening for a oh, you screening did. invite for this and just wasn't able to. Okay. So it stars uh, Jai Courtney. I don't really know much about him, mm-hmm. but also you've got uh, Finn Whitrock. You've got uh, Nat Wolf. Um, yeah. And then you've got uh, Leighton Meester, which I have to admit is a, big draw for me probably one of the main reasons that simplify that is stuck in my mind that this movie existed um and you've got arturo castro who's kind of an up-and-comer uh you know him he was uh he was just on silicon valley um this season where he's the um chilean investor oh yeah uh, with the tree in the middle of his house um (laughs) we are shaking uh, him (laughs) yeah but before that he was on uh he was on broad city um but uh uh, so and now now Simplify is available to rent um, on streaming services. So I watched it, um, and uh, I really liked it. It's uh, it got terrible reviews, uh, and and I disagree with most of. I went and read some of the terrible reviews, uh, and I, I disagree with most of them. Uh, the story it doesn't follow. It doesn't have a strict. the The plot structure is weird. Because it starts with this group of five five guys, not the five guys who own the uh, the burger chain. Oh, I'm but, out. But uh, five guys who are uh, Marine Reservists. So it, ta- it takes place. It doesn't say specifically. I'm guessing around 2004 or so. Um, basically, they're uh, Reserve Marines. They're being called up because of the sort of uh, surge into uh, into Iraq. Um, uh, two of them are brothers. Jai Courtney plays the older brother and legal guardian of his younger brother, uh, Nat Wolf. Hmm. Um, and shortly before they're going to be shipped off, Nat Wolf gets into a bar fight and accidentally kills a guy hmm. and uh, gets sent to prison. And so then the movie kind of splits into Jai Courtney, Arturo Castro, and Finn, Wood- Finn Widrock, and the actor Bo Knapp. He's been in a lot of stuff too. Uh, they go off to Iraq. And then that wolf goes out to prison and it kind of jumps back and forth for a while. And then they come back from Iraq and I don't want to give away any spoilers, but it becomes a different movie. And I think this is where a lot of, 
Is it a jailbreak movie? Uh, it kind of becomes a, yeah, okay. like a heist type of, and I think this is where a lot of people, it went from being this very character-based drama to having this element of a genre film. Mm-hmm. I think based on the reviews I read, a lot of people like couldn't make that jump. But yeah. the thing is, it never stops being the first thing. Right. It's still about these, you know, bros, <laughs> literal bros and like friends. And it's a movie about male friendship. It's directed by the guy who made the murder ball documentary. You know? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so he has some experience in how, uh, jock assholes are friends to each other. Yeah. <laughs> Not everyone's an asshole in the, in murder ball, just a couple. Um, but I'm just saying like, th- like the characters in Simmer Fire are not the type of people that I tend to hang out with. Sure. But, uh, and the movie doesn't try to make a case for them as great people, but it does make a case for them is as really good friends who care about each other. Yeah. And that's the engine that drives the, the movie emotionally. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I was surprised. I, I, I really liked it. Um, Leighton Meester's in it a fair deal. So, uh, I was not let, let down, uh, on that, on that account. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I would say don't listen to the terrible. It's like nineteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Hmm. Don't listen to that. It's a it's a good movie. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I can't quite figure out how more than one lesson wound up on certain lists. Uh, but yeah, I got a, an invite to the sc- okay. uh, screening of that, and I remember thinking like, oh, that's a that's a pretty good cast. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> like so many other things these days, I just couldn't make it. Um, but it looked interesting to me, and it also like I mean. Uh, uh, on the one hand, it's a very character-based movie, but it looked like like the movie looked like it cost a lot of mo- like a fair amount of money to make. Yeah. And I just like where did it where did it come from? Where did it, why, where, and where's it going? Yeah, why? Yeah. Uh, but it's uh, yeah, it's pretty good. All right, uh, my last one. You should have done the math. Have, right, you should have two more. Yes. Okay, so my last one is Adam Leon's 2016 follow-up to Give Me the Loot. It's called Tramps, uh, okay. the only film he's made. Uh, and this one, Give Me the Loot, had some success. So this one has not like big stars, but it has some actors you've seen in other things mm-hmm. uh, in it. Callum Turner is the is the is the lead. That name he's, sounds familiar. Well, I'm told he's in the Fantastic Beasts movies. Oh, okay. Uh, I know him from The Only Living Boy in New York. Oh, he's um, also in uh, Green Room. Yes, yeah, he's one of the band members in Green Yes, Man. That's right. Um, and then it has Grace Van Patten, uh, who was in the Meyerowitz stories uh, so uh, last year. And then it has uh, uh, the big name in the movie is Mike Birbiglia. Uh, um, but uh, uh, Tramps is, it, it, it's not as good as Give Me the Loot, partially because it feels like, it's so many so many of the elements feel like a copy. Mm-hmm. Um uh, it's, you know, white kids instead of, instead of black kids, but, uh, Calum Turner's character is Polish, um, and speak, you know, or at least he's, he's born here, his mother's from Poland, he speaks, uh, Polish, and basically his brother gets arrested, and he decides to get involved in a quick sort of very low-level criminal scheme, uh, uh, to earn some quick money. He meets up with Grace Van Patten's character, who's kind of doing the same thing, um, the thing goes wrong and they have to like stick together to make it right or else either he and or his brother are going to suffer some serious consequences at the hands of these uh, more experienced criminals. So it's basically just much like give me the loot. It's two young people running around New York and interacting with 
people they probably normally don't. In this case, they end up having to go out to the suburbs, which has a whole uh, a whole other uh, element uh, to it. But it's it, it still it still feels very natural and 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 it's very and it's very fun and it's also again very it's eighty two minutes. Is it, the other one was seventy nine minutes. This one's eighty two minutes. Uh, he he makes these very sort of brisk and lively uh, uh, little little movies that have these seemingly very important you know screenwritery type of engines to them uh you know with like i said the ticking clock before or you know the the stakes seem high but really it's just about it's more about like two people navigating uh their circumstances each other uh the different aspects of the world than they've usually encountered and stuff like that uh so yeah it's not as good as give me the loot but tramps is uh still quite good okay uh so all right my next film uh so uh, the movie princess cut frustrated me but the film mayhem directed by joe lynch infuriated me what is mayhem it's with uh uh see i was almost gonna do what you do which is as soon as I mention a movie, you pick up your phone and look it up. Sorry. I hate when you do it. I'm sorry. Because here's the thing. Do you think I'm not about to tell you about the movie? No, it's more just because you're not necessarily going to go into everybody's right. filmography. And right. so it's usually that. And so I almost had the impulse to do that. Right. And I didn't. Uh, so what yeah, did you tell me about Mayhem? It's got uh, Steven Yoon in it. And oh. he's, uh, probably the, he's probably the biggest actor in it. Although... Uh, Damn, I always forget his name. Dallas Dallas Roberts. Oh yeah, uh, I like him. And he's yeah, he's great in the movie. Is he always is? He's a very reliable character actor. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so I was scrolling through Shutter, and uh, I had narrowed down to like I had two hours, and so I narrowed it down to like okay, these are the three things that I could watch, and I hit. So I decided on Mayhem, which is about like. Uh, there's a, a a virus that causes people to like lose all moral uh, uh, instincts and and just okay. go by their baser instincts. Uh, and so there's the uh, there's a bus- uh, an office building that uh, there's an outbreak of this virus. Uh, they're pu- and the the authorities are pumping <clears throat> in like this gas that will bring people back to their senses but it takes several hours and in the meantime the building is quarantined so nobody can leave and so it's all of these characters like their their frustrations with the office environment come out violently and all that sort of thing so okay whatever uh so i decided on that and uh i found myself about 20 minutes in feeling like uh ron burgundy as he was walking down the street uh and it's really hot and he's drinking milk and he says milk was a bad choice (laughs) and uh and that's how i felt uh i about 20 minutes in, i was like oh now i have to watch this whole damn thing because i don't like turning movies off and so and i was like mayhem was a bad choice and it's just so smug it's that kind of, you know what I mean? Like, oh, we're talking about office politics. So, and what's more is it has voiceover. It has like narration of the main character who has little nicknames for everybody in the office. And so, and it's like, oh, this is the siren. This is the reaper. This is this and this and this. And just characterize. And of course, all the bosses are evil. How could they not be? Because it's an office environment. And certainly 
the only people that could ever feel stressed out and under pressure are the lower workers. Bosses could never possibly feel that way. Uh, and just like, <laughs> I like that you're pro boss. It's, the thing is, like, you know, my dad was uh, was a boss uh, at Texaco Oil and then at a at a uh, like a, a private electric company and uh, died at age 50 of a heart attack, partially because of extreme stress. Right. I'm just saying that, like, let's say hey, let's say uh, hate the game, uh, not the player. OK. All right? OK. Um, but that's not how this movie operates. Uh, and so. And there, to me, I've gotten so tired because there's this moment where, like, Stephen Yoon's character has been fired. He's on his way out, and then the building gets shut down. And so he's feeling this, and and he decides I'm going to get my revenge on the people up at the on the top floor. All right, and so he has to make it to the top floor. So there's that as well. Um, and I am. I don't think I realize quite how much I hate this trope now, which is like the main character who suddenly feels liberated and, and has a certain swagger to them as they approach like the people who've done them wrong. Okay. You know, uh, and Steven Yoon, I, I like him as an actor and anytime he's interviewed, he seems like a super nice guy, but he can't, it's also a poorly written movie, but he can't quite pull it off in such a way that I don't find it just annoying. Um, where just like he'll be on the phone with the people on the top and he goes, you know, and just like that kind of thing, just really digging in that like, I'm coming for you and all that sort of thing. And like, I got okay. nothing to lose that sort of thing. Um, and it's just, <laughs> it's I just, terrible. it is terrible. It's so terrible. And what's more is, and of course everyone's angry. So everyone's just yelling fuck all the time. And that doesn't necessarily bother me when it's something like Glengarry Glen Ross or Wolf of Wall Street or uh, Goodfellas like movies that are well written but this is just is like oh my gosh I can't believe these people in an office environment are yelling fuck it's like yes that wears off after about 10 minutes yeah. and then then where are you it's it's I- by the way, I work in an office. We say fuck all the time. Of course. It's not like, yeah. Uh, and that's the other yeah, it's thing not is, verboten. It's, I, I feel like it's, it's a situation where the person who wrote it has an idea of what it would be like to work in an office, likely never having worked at one. And I might be wrong about that, but if I am, then he has not gleaned anything of what it's like to work in an office. And it just, uh, boy, what a, what an absolute misfire. And yet it is so positive of its own intelligence of its own hip cynicism. And, uh, I just had no use for it at all. Well, I did look it up anyway. Okay. <laughs> the other, the other main actress in it is Samara weave, Samara weaving, Samara yeah. weaving, who's just this year was in ready or not, which is, oh, okay. uh, uh, highly recommended BP stamp of approval, or at least half of one. Sure. I imagine I'll probably enjoy it. Yeah. I think you would like, um, it. yeah. So boy, what a, just a, awful movie if it came out this year which it didn't but if it came out this year it'd probably be my least favorite of the year all right um you've got one more okay one more uh as a delightful palate cleanser i watched memory the origins of alien by alexander o philippe have you seen it uh no i I saw the other the 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 psycho one that he did yeah yeah and then he also made what is it 7854 7854 um Okay. Is that what it is? I was no, no, looking no. it up today, and then I, I always forget the... It's like, oh, that's a lot of numbers. Yeah. Well, four of them, but I, I don't know. Well, I had two of them, actually. Um, but yeah, and then he also made 
the people versus George Lucas. Like he makes movies. Oh, right. Yeah. Like that would do. Yeah. Oh. He makes movies about Excuse movies. Me. And as is the case with people <clears throat> versus George Lucas, he comes at it from an angle I wasn't expecting, you know? Yeah. And I remember, you know, this, they don't sponsor us, but, uh, the alien Blu-ray set is uh-huh. one of the smartest, uh, entertainment purchases I've ever made. Not just because the transfers are gorgeous, but also each film has a three hour making up. Oh wow. Yeah. And it's really in depth and it covers like conception, pre-production, production, post, you know, uh, reception, all of that. And it's re- and they interview as many people as they can. And my first thought when I heard about this film was like, you can't beat that. Uh-huh. But then I realized, no, no, no. Those are as in depth as they are. They are promotional in nature. Although I do the alien three one, they spend a lot of time talking about what went wrong. Hmm. So that's to their credit. Um, this is not promotional in nature. This is analytical in nature. And so it's not merely the, it's not called the making of aliens it's called the origins of alien. So we spend a lot of time obviously with Giger, but a lot of time uh, talking about Dan O'Bannon and the director does a lot of deep dives into the movies that inspired alien. And you realize like, Oh yeah, this alien was not the only film to have like someone burst out a a creature burst out of somebody's chest or anything like that. Um, It just brought all of these different elements together and then had this gorgeous art direction and a, and uh, a director who was, committed to a certain tone. So it's just all these amazing things coming together. Uh, but then they also interview a number of critics and commentators who are discussing what the film really delves into. And, uh, and it's shot in a way that just really tries to, it's not shot in a very clinical way. Um, the way the interviews are conducted, the way he shows footage and all that, uh, really tries to, he really tries to capture the essence of, the quiet of alien, um, even as people are talking about it. And, uh, so they get into the themes and all that sort of thing. And it really is, it's a film I'm very glad I saw. Um, I, it's a film that honestly had to kind of prove itself to me. Uh, and it really did. I was very happy that I saw it as an alien fan and as a film fan. 